I wonder what your thoughts are when someone mentions that uh, a Bible passage is going to be set in Bethlehem, which is where this passage is. Perhaps that word Bethlehem makes you think of the nativity story. The newborn Jesus laid in a manger and shepherds on the hillside outside. Or maybe, also in Bethlehem at an earlier time, David about to be anointed to be the future king and his handsome older brothers wondering as they are overlooked for the ruddy-faced boy that has been out tending to the livestock. Well, of course, our passage today is neither of those, though it is intertwined with them in the history of God's people, in the genealogy of the royal line. It's also not of sheep farming, is it? which both those other ones refer to. Instead, we get into the background on the culture and the law regarding the grain harvest and the gathering up behind, the gleaning. But first, we must recall that God's Word is for all, male and female, people of every background, people of different heritage uh, for individuals across generations, and whether they are rich or poor, however we might define those words. By grace, what some might call God incidents, two people are brought together in a field. And they could not be more different people. And yet, that timing is perfect. A Moabite woman, who is a daughter-in-law of a widow and is a widow herself, one who, to find food, must glean in the field, picking up the bits left behind. And by contrast, we have the field's owner, a man of standing, the passage tells us. That doesn't simply mean wealthy, but one who is respected, one that is well-known in the community. He employs many workers and isn't a labourer himself, or even their line manager. No, he comes out from Bethlehem to see how everybody is doing. He comes to the field to see those who toil. Just at the same time as Ruth is there. And they are somewhat connected through something um, rather like a clan, an extended family, an allegiance to one another. And there's responsibility in all sorts of things within that as the the story of Ruth actually unfolds in the later chapters. Now, it's easy 
in this passage to see the kindness in what happens, isn't it? The kindness of Boaz, the offer of physical protection from the men that are in the field, the thirst being offered to be quenched. She had no right to go and have that drink, but she is told she can go to the water jars. She can have shelter in the structure that is there at the field for the hottest part of the day. All this is a gift of Boaz. It's his kindness responding to someone in their time of need. And we each need to think of how, what resources we have, what we've been blessed with, whatever our riches may be, even if we don't consider ourselves rich, that we can bless others, that we can do those acts of kindness. But why have I picked this passage when I want to talk not just of kindness, but also of forbearance, which Danny has explained is more than just simple patience. Well, maybe partly because it's sometimes hard to see passages where biblical characters actually do show forbearance. Waiting patiently in a time of challenge rather than acting rashly. They do happen, though. I'm going to give you an example where they don't have forbearance. Abram and Sarah. They have been promised a family. But instead of waiting, Sarah gives her Egyptian servant, Hagar, to her husband. And without self-control, Ishmael is fathered. That's not part of God's plan. Here's another. As the Israelites journey through the desert on the way to the promised land, they have little patience and continually grumble. But then they show a lack of forbearance at the bottom of Sinai when just as Moses receives the Ten Commandments, they in their way have given up waiting when's this man going to come back? They smelt what gold they have and make a false idol, a calf. By contrast, in both these situations, God continues to love and have patience for Abram and his generations of children. God is slow to anger and swift to bless, which I keep coming back to week after week. He does not act rashly, but allows grace to come like an ever-flowing stream. Ruth, in our passage, is in a time of challenge. 
And it's in times of challenge that we need forbearance, that we need patience. She acts, but not in a way that goes against forbearance. She acts in a decisive manner, but not in a short-tempered way. It is within the law what she does. And as she does it, she does it in a humble fashion. And she's polite in how she approaches others. She asks the blessing of Naomi before going to the field. And then at the field, she approaches the overseer. She, she's had a discussion. We discover. And when Boaz offers help and hope, she bows before him in thankfulness. She does not see anything as her right, even though it was to some extent her right, to go to the field and glean but recognizes God's love is there, that there is kindness, that there is hope. How do we respond in situations that we find are, are very wearing? Is it with mercy and with grace? Do we allow the Spirit to strengthen us in the long-term coming together of God's way or do we act in a rash response, doing our own thing? Do we expect instant answers when things are maybe quite complicated and not as we would hope? Are we maybe more than impatient when that patience comes to an end, we don't behave as we should. In the coming days, it may be that the, the government change restrictions on how we may meet and interact. And I long for the day where we don't all have to put on our face coverings and wear them as we come in the door as we gather, along for the day that we are able to sing in this place, no matter how many of us are here, and may it be many, may every seat be filled. I hope we can return to mixing over coffee, having that chat, relax not thinking about the requirement that we should only really gather for as short a time as possible. And that we might do that with a mixing of ages and, and whether or not we are jabbed, because younger people aren't. To live with loving kindness to one another, to have forbearance, we need to discern how to act with patience and with wisdom. Wisdom that loves one another. And that might mean after the 19th of July, 
whatever the government says we are legally free to do, we don't necessarily do it. But in this place and in shops and on the bus and on a train, in places of work, wherever we may be, we might have to restrict ourselves personally through kindness and forbearance. That something is permissible does not always mean it is beneficial. Maybe we need to follow in the footsteps of those from Bethlehem. David showed forbearance at times. In 1 Samuel 24, he sneaks forward in a cave and cuts a corner from Saul's robe. Hunted across the hills, David's men had urged the anointed one to see opportunity to kill King Saul. David would not act in such a rash manner because he knew that was not God's way. No, he simply creeps forward in a cave, cuts the corner, and allows Saul to leave. Jesus shows forbearance in resisting Satan in the wilderness after 40 days. He resists the call to eat or to bow down or, or to take earthly power. Three years later in Gethsemane, he knows what is coming, but he does not flee. And on the cross, as others taunt him, saying, save yourself. Instead, with a heart of compassion and forbearance, he saves us. God's mercy and grace are infinite. May we, by his Spirit, grow in how we exercise loving-kindness, and discover in what matters we must exercise and grow forbearance, allowing the Spirit to calm our heart and lead us on the true path. For in such actions, the kingdom will grow. Amen.